The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. EJ, if you ask any NFL fan of any team that has already clinched a playoff spot, they all have their own answer for what is the matchup that they least want to see for their team in the first round. Uh, The matchup that they feel is most likely to make them a one-and-done, their nightmare matchup, so to speak. Every single team has one, honestly, except for the Eagles, because the Eagles, I feel like every team is a nightmare matchup for them at this point. (laughs) They don't want to see anybody. Even the Cardinals, they can't handle them. So, you know, Eagles fans are, are are going through it right now. But for every other team, there's that one that sticks out. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through all the different playoff possibilities for every single team that has already clinched a spot. And we're going to name their one nightmare matchup that they do not want to deal with. EJ, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm good, and we should... We should tell the folks there's a caveat to that. We're not talking about first seeds because yeah. we're going to talk about first seeds a lot. So San Francisco and Baltimore, not in this discussion. Everybody else, we're going to tell you who the range of possibilities are that they could play. And out of that range of possibilities, I'm not going to say no matter how slight, because if it's really slight, we didn't talk about it. If there's a 5% chance, we didn't bring it up. But even if it's a 10 or 20% chance, if that's the worst matchup, we're going to call it out because it's probably the one that makes fans of that team shake when they think about, oh, please don't give us blank in the first round. Starting off with the AFC here, uh, the two seed, presumptive two seed in the <laughs> AFC. I kind of want to get ahead of this a little bit because I know there's some Bills fans that are like, well, hold on, we could be the two seed if we win this week. And yes, that's very true. Uh, Buffalo could also be entirely out of the playoffs if they lose this week. And if I was going to do a nightmare matchup for Buffalo, who has not clinched a playoff spot yet, so we didn't do any nightmare matchups for teams that haven't clinched. Uh, But if I was, Miami literally is their nightmare matchup. So I'm kind of going forward uh, on the assumption that the Dolphins are going to be the two seed here, that they're going to win this week. And Buffalo is going to have to hope that the Ravens backups beat Pittsburgh so they can make it in um, as as hot as Buffalo's been. I just I don't think they match up well right now with what Miami does well, if that makes sense. Bills anyway. fans across Western New York are celebrating right now. I know. I know the curse <laughs> is going to come back to bite me. 
But and I, and I do have reasons for that, by the way. Like if you look at how Buffalo handles outside zone, how they handle pin and pull schemes, um, you know how they handle uh, specifically the types of concepts that Miami runs in the areas of the field that attack in the pass game. Like schematically speaking, Miami's not the offense they want to face. And even go back to the first matchup, like that game was a straight up track meet early on it was touchdown 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 and then there was penalties and it, you know a couple turnovers and it, it kind of went against Miami later but like they were scoring on them at will mm-hmm. and the offense is mostly the same now so yeah I don't know I I, I don't feel great about that matchup so I'm just kind of assuming that Miami's going to be the two seed here we got to pick somebody so we got to pick picking the Dolphins now looking at who the Dolphins' nightmare matchup is, who they do not want to see as a seventh seed, who could potentially one and done them uh, as a wild card team that's going on the road down to Miami. I look at Houston. You know, they are one of the possibilities as a seventh seed. If Jacksonville wins and if Houston wins uh, this week, if I did my math correctly, and I don't think Miami wants Houston as a seven. Like that, that would be worst case scenario for them because Houston, A, can stop the run. They can stop the run better than Buffalo can. Uh, they have a phenomenal quarterback in CJ Stroud, who now that he's back, you see the difference in the Texans' offense when Stroud is on the field in terms of them being able to attack every area of the field. I'm talking about 25 plus yards deep outside the numbers. You know, he works the middle of the field. Um, You know, he throws with touch timing and anticipation to set up yards after catch opportunities. Like 65% of the yards last week were after the catch. Like he does everything. He attacks everywhere. And that's exceptionally hard to deal with, especially when Miami is down two top pass rushers to injury and Xavier Howard got banged up too. Like, yes, they still have a lot of talent there, but very few teams have been able to handle C.J. Stroud, even when at full strength this year, let alone when they're banged up. And so I do think that Stroud can score with Tua. And I think that right now the Texans' defense is better than Miami's defense. If you're looking at pass rush win rate, if you're looking at um, you know yards per carry allowed, like Miami's run defense is, is excellent, but Houston's is even better. Like That's a tough team to deal with. And I, I truly think that if Stroud, A, was healthy the last two weeks, um, they wouldn't have dropped a game. Like, I think that they would have beaten Cleveland if they had Stroud and Will Anderson in that game. I really do. And if they had taken the leash off of CJ in the first six weeks and actually let him throw the ball before the Tampa game, they could have won like 12 games this year. Like, that's how good this Houston team is. So uh, I don't think Miami wants to see them. Again, a, a lot of weird shit has to happen for Houston to end up as the seven instead of the six, if I did my math correctly. Uh, but Miami has to pray that that weird shit doesn't happen. They have to hope that Houston is the six. Uh, because if they're the seven, things could go very awry for them in the first round. I don't think Miami wants to see Houston with a healthy Stroud and a healthy Nico Collins. Both of them have been banged up. And the offense fell off. You know, I would say expectedly, it showed us exactly how much CJ Stroud was giving them after they took the leash off in the middle part of the season. 
when we were saying, okay, I think he's good for a rookie. Okay, I think he's just good. Okay, he might be top 10 in the league regardless of status at that point. He gets hurt, misses a few games. Texans play hard. They play well as a team, but they are not the same outfit without Stroud distributing the ball. And Nico missing time as well. He is the big play target. Make no mistake, Stroud can go to every level of the field. He can go to Schultz. They can run the ball. They are not at all one-dimensional. They didn't fall completely apart, but they fell off their pedestal. They fell from the high heights. And sort of quietly for people that at that point wrote Houston off and went, okay, season's over. They're not going to make the playoffs. Quietly got Stroud back, got Nico back, continued to run the ball pretty well. Like, this is a dangerous team. If you're talking again about a nightmare matchup, you really are looking at teams that people have looked away from that are really dangerous and on another upward swing. Texans had an upward swing in the middle of the season and they had a little downward swing. Now people are getting healthy, most notably Stroud, and they are on the upward swing again. And yes, they could surprise. And the Dolphins, as you noted, going a little bit the other way. Bradley Chubb going out after Phillips is already out. That's going to give Stroud even more time, depending on who's blocking for him. This could be a very surprising matchup in the first round of the playoffs, which is exactly what we're talking about today. Mathematically speaking, I believe the other two options are an immediate rematch with Buffalo or Pittsburgh. The one they want is Pittsburgh. Like, that's who they want. I don't know if they're going to get it, but that's who they want. Uh, Moving on to the three seed, the Chiefs, who also potentially could get uh, Miami if Miami loses this week. Miami being a six seed is a possibility for the Chiefs to have to face them in the first round. Um, Also possible matchup is Buffalo. If Buffalo ends up as a six, um, obviously Houston and Indy are both options there. So there's, there's a lot that could like the six seed is the one that has like the most options and the most like kind of wacky scenarios. And I know we just talked about how Buffalo doesn't match up super well against Miami. I do think they match up very well against the chiefs in that. I think that Buffalo is the nightmare matchup for Kansas city solely because Kansas city has a, a remarkable ability to play teams close like they don't get blown out because their defense is good Mm -hmm. but they're also two and six when the opposing team scores 20 points and if there is one quarterback in the AFC other than Lamar and and Stroud that I trust to get 20 points it's Josh Allen and I I understand it was a very close game the first time they matched up uh, but the fact that just scoring 20 is enough to beat this team 75% of the time. Like, do you really think that Josh Allen can't get 20 plus points on a very good Chiefs defense? Like, yes, the Chiefs defense is incredible. But the fact that Josh can make you wrong, even when you're right, by just a flick of the wrist to Diggs or Gabe Davis or Dalton Kincaid, who's like three catches away from from setting the Bills tight end record as a rookie. Like, it, you know, Khalil Shakir's made plays this year. They finally figured out they can run the ball with James Cook. Like, that's that's a real offense. Like, they're a better offense now than they were at the beginning of the year. Yes. And if Buffalo scores 21, I just, I don't think KC can beat them. 
because where has where has been their ability to beat teams that can score 21 all year? Spoiler alert, nowhere. Like, they can't fucking do it. So I think the Bills are a nightmare matchup because as good as the Chiefs' defense is, their offense is so underwhelming that I just don't think they can keep up. Two flickers of hope for Kansas City if this turns out to be the matchup. One, Rasheed Rice has shown the ability all season and is improving. He's shown a little bit of big play over the last couple of weeks. They're going to need one. And fluky stuff happens in the playoffs. That's the sort of higher variance variable in this one. The other one is Spags is going to have to be out of his mind. And he has been for most of the year. But as you noted, trying to lock down Josh Allen by himself for less than 20 is very difficult. Trying to lock him down with some of those weapons coming on, especially Cook and Dalton Kincaid late in the year. Really tough task. He's going to have to be damn near perfect. And when you're playing with that kind of precision, a lot of things can go wrong. Now, I have a lot more faith in the defense than the offense, just like you. Again, Rasheed Rice has shown flashes. Buffalo's defense, pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And the thing that really feels like the trump card in all of this is for years, at the end of those tight games, you talked about Casey's ability to play people close and win. It has been Mahomes to Kelsey. In those moments, it is always Mahomes to Kelsey. This year, that's just gone. Like, that's evaporated. That's vaporware. It doesn't exist anymore. And now that they don't have it, it feels like all those Packers teams where it was just Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And whenever they needed whatever they needed, whether it was a big third down conversion or a score late, they just look at each other and go, okay, you and me, let's go. And they would get it time after time after time after time after time this season they can't get it those balls are getting batted away Travis is showing you know wear and tear age injury whatever it is he is not the same player he is not that defining guy that can just throw his hand up and say I will be open get me the ball we'll go win this game and in in lieu of that they don't have another answer there is not anyone else that has stepped up in that offense with any regularity really at all to say hey you know, we can run the ball with power. We can throw to one of these wide receivers. There's a big third down guy. I mean, you can say Watson a little bit, but like not really. Not consistently. Like, that's yeah. not the thing you're going to lean on when the game is on the line against Buffalo. The losers getting knocked out. They, the Chiefs don't have an answer on offense. The Bills have lots of answers on offense. So Spags has to be perfect and... I'm just going to say a miracle has to occur for the KC offense, which really hasn't occurred for most of the year, which would make it all the more miraculous. Uh, Four seed now. Again, we're assuming it's going to be Jacksonville, although I don't know. Yeah, although (laughs) I don't know if you saw Mike Vrabel's comments, but Tennessee's coming to play this week. Like that, that man does not like losing. Um, So Tennessee's coming to play this week. Uh, Jacksonville could potentially blow the division. We'll see, but I'm assuming they're going to win it. If they if they win this week, um, they're the four seed. And unfortunately for them, their nightmare matchup is the actual five seed, the Browns. And and you know this this might sound crazy. I struggled not putting the Browns for like every single other team in the AFC slate. Mm-hmm. Like, does anybody want to play them right now? I don't think so. No. 
Like the defense the Browns is are, so good. The Browns are so much like the Chiefs for the first two thirds of the year. They're yeah. they had a great defense, right? They locked teams down. They played teams close. The coaching was very good. Stefanski and his staff have done a great job, just like Andy Reid and his staff generally do. Like those two teams were sort of bizarro versions of each other because Cleveland didn't have a quarterback and Kansas City still has the best quarterback in the league and in a lot of people's eyes. But all of a sudden, just like we talked about with Houston, up and down roller coaster ride, Joe Flacco comes off the couch and just takes what the defenses are giving him, throws some dimes. The defense goes, wait a minute, we don't have to, like, shut people out to win? (laughs) Holy crap. And all of a sudden, you're right, nobody wants to play the Browns because they are a very different team than they were in the first two-thirds of the season. Running game hasn't missed a beat with Jerome Ford. I mean, obviously, Nick Chubb, when healthy, is a better running back, but by God, Jerome's been... Ford's been great. He's been fantastic. Yeah. Like, they still have the threat of the ground game. You know, their guard center guard trios played out of their minds. Like, even with the the injuries they sustained at tackle this year, like, the offensive line's still been just fine for the most part. Joe's had his fair share of turnover-worthy plays, you know, Uh, but the fact that he's also had more than his fair share of big time throws to make up for it. Like, my God, some of the some of the tosses to Amari over the last <laughs> three weeks. I'm just like, what in the where where was that when you were twenty five? Like he, he didn't even do that shit in Baltimore in his prime. Like where was that? Yeah, and on the other end of those receptions, Coop has been playing the best football of his career. And I know some Cowboys fans will absolutely slaughter the mentions, throw tomatoes, like, sorry. Like, Cooper is playing better right now than he has ever in his career. And, you know, David Njoku with the rare one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh-year breakout with Joe (laughs) Flacco, quarterback. Um you know, it's it's an amazing story. It's tons of fun, and nobody wants Jim Schwartz fired up with the with an offense that has an ability to score points backing him up on the other side. Like, mm-mm. nope, please, please no. Give me any other ticket right now. It's a balanced team, and when it comes to playoff time, balanced teams are dangerous teams. Like, I think if Jacksonville goes in there, you know. Uh, Considering that they've already struggled against, you know, these under center heavy uh, zone run heavy West Coast passing game teams this year. You know, they got slaughtered by the Niners. They already lost to the Browns. Um, they, they've really struggled against the Slowick offenses in Houston this year. Uh, you know, even um, even Tampa. Not that Dave Canales has like a he never coached with Shanahan, but like they run a lot of the they run a lot of similar stuff there, similar style. You know, hard play action fake, shots down the field, average depth of target of like forty yards, it seems like it sometimes, you know, <laughs> in Tampa. Like they just they fucking chuck it. And with as many middle field close structures as Jacksonville has employed this year, like you you need stellar free safety play. And in stellar communication with your with your two outside corners to survive these style of offenses, um, and they just haven't had that. Like there's been miscommunications all over the place, um, and if you if you miscommunicate on, you know whether it's like the 
you you want to call it spear, you want to call it wave, whatever. You know, when you got the two deep crosses going and you fuck up the communication in terms of who's jumping, who's going. Like when you're doing the zone exchanges, if you mess that up, like it's just forty yards, and they've messed it up all year long. And I have no reason to believe they're not going to keep messing it up when they play against Cleveland again. So I think I think the Browns would chew them up. And uh, and Jacksonville is just such a weird team this year because. I, I mean, yes, underachieving is the correct word for it, but I feel like it's it's more than like it's it's a it's a worse version of underachieving because we came into this year after after the back half of the season that Trevor had last year, and you know we're looking at the additions they made on offense, we're looking at some of the talent they brought in on defense, and we're like, oh my god, this this could be this could be it. This could be the return of Jacksonville to the top of the AFC. Let's fucking mm-hmm. go. Good for them. Those fans deserve it. And then it just, it started off shaky and then it never became not shaky. And we kept waiting all year long for them to get their shit together and they just haven't. And so it's not just underachieving. It's disappointing. Expectation is a big piece of this because when you have expectations that are high and the results come in below that, whether or not they are good or average or decent if you had high expectations and you end up with a lesser result it's a little bit like saying oh i'm going to take that old junker car i have and i'm going to buy all these really expensive parts and i'm going to spend the whole winter in the garage putting it together then you put it together and you test it out and you're ready to take it out on the road for the first time in the spring and you take it out and it runs okay (laughs) like it runs fine but you just spent like 10 grand in performance parts and you're like i really i expected this thing to just blow me away and it's pretty average and so you tinker with it and you run it for a couple of months and then you're out on your first long road trip and like shit goes bad (laughs) like hoses start blowing off and it starts making a funny (laughs) noise that you can't find and you're like then you're like oh this isn't okay anymore and that's what happened to jacksonville through the middle part of the season they ran pretty well. They It was like, come on, come on, kick in, like blow the carbon out. Let's go <laughs> like hit that hit that 10,000 RPMs we were hoping you were going to get. And they never did. And then really for the last month, Trevor being banged up and just the wheels have started to wobble on that machine a little bit. And that makes it all the worse, especially when you came in spending all the money, thinking you were all set, that you were going to have just a dialed ride. And now you're limping along on the highway with your flashers on going like 45 and smoking. And you're like, oh, this is not how we expected to roll out of the back half of this season. And I don't think there's going to be any Jags fans that disagree with that. Like, yes, they they could win the division. They probably will win. the. Division. Oh, sure. Yeah. But any Jags fans listening to this, I challenge you. <laughs> to write in the comments that you've been totally comfortable watching this team play this year. Like there's that you're no super way. confident about <laughs> yeah. them in the playoffs that you think they're just going to roll. Like yeah. at that point you are drinking the teal Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. Once we got to like the bills game, everybody realized like, uh, I don't know. There's something. Oh, there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like they're winning, but it doesn't feel good. <laughs> You're looking in the rearview mirror and there's a big cloud of smoke and you're like, (laughs) something's gone terribly wrong here. All right, let's get to the Browns, who are the nightmare matchup uh, for Jacksonville. The Browns nightmare matchup in the sense of the team that they don't want to see win the South. uh, Which is still technically possible if Jacksonville loses this week. 
And I, if I did my math correctly, I think Jacksonville is one of the teams that also could technically be a seven. I forgot to mention that we were doing uh, Miami. Um, I think if they lose and if Pittsburgh loses, Jacksonville's the seven. Again, the math is real funky for the AFC. I got to double check. You're that. Charlie Day with the pictures and the string. And <laughs> Pepe Sylvia right is the six seed, EJ. <laughs> totally possible at this point and that's the it's the challenge of doing this in week 17 but it's also the fun if we wait till all the playoff matchups are set look everybody's going to be talking about well these are the matchups and this is how they these are potentials these are the this is the boogeyman this is the monster under the bed for certain teams and to us that's more interesting i think the monster under the bed for cleveland is is houston and again i know it sounds insane they just blew them out like a couple weeks ago but there was However, no C.J. Stroud. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's the big one. There was no Will Anderson. There was no Blake Cashman. It was like Nico's first game back off the injury. That was not the Texans. Okay? That was not the Texans. That was not what you're actually getting when you go against Houston. What you're actually getting when you go against Houston. And again, like that same team barely survived the Titans the first time with Case Keenum. And then all of a sudden they get Will Anderson back, who got like two sacks and six pressures on fucking 12 snaps and then Stroud came out and Nico, like they demolished Tennessee when they actually had their dudes on the field right and you could say the same thing for Cleveland like once when they have all their dudes like they're a really really good team uh and and Houston's the same way and I just I don't think the Browns want that smoke a second time when you're actually going against CJ who's been a top five quarterback in the league this year and Nico Collins who's been a legitimate wide receiver one and Will Anderson who has one of the highest pass rush win rates I've seen for a rookie edge in my lifetime mm-hmm. like it's they're a real team guys like <laughs> nobody wants to play against them like they are praying to God that Indy somehow beats them this week and doesn't let them in because when they get in they will do damage First thing we need to talk about is the fact that there are three options going into the final week of the season for a team to win a division. Yes. Three, not two. Lots of divisions still up for grabs at this time. Very rarely are three teams in the hunt to win a division in the final week of the season. That's bonkers. As far as the Texans go and Will Anderson, I I just love all the people that are like, well, Will Anderson's senior year wasn't as good as the year before, so I'm kind of down on him. <laughs> I love those takes. I go back and look at them. They warm my cold little heart every once in a while. But in terms of teams that if you're looking at the slate of teams that could win. Yeah, if I'm Cleveland, I would rather play Jacksonville or Indianapolis. I do not want to play the Texans at full strength with CJ for all the reasons we talked about. Don't need to talk about him again. I don't want to go against D'Amico's defense. I'd rather go against Gus Bradley's defense. Honestly, mm-hmm. if you're giving me a choice, um, because at least you know what you're getting. Like, if they execute pretty well, it's going to be a tough day, but you could beat that. D'Amico's going to be, he's going he's gonna to heat up Flacco. Like, it's going to be fun. And that pass rush, not just Will Anderson, but the rushers on the other side as well, have been effective. And look, Flacco's still 38 and a half. You get some hits on him, it's going to add up. It's late in the season. Like, he came back really fresh, but NFL season will wear on anybody. And he's now, you know, more than a month into that. And if they start getting hits on Flacco early, that offense could start to look more like it did earlier in the season. The defense is still going to be a struggle, but if I'm the Browns and I'm looking at those three potential matchups, the 
smoking 70s muscle car of the Jaguars that's limping down the road. The sort of predictability of the Colts, both on offense, Gardner Minshew is going to give you your chances. And the the other thing that we haven't talked about the Texans very much is their ability to create turnovers in the second half of the season since Stingley got healthy is good. Yeah. <laughs> like they're going to. They're going to take those chances if somebody like Minshew gives them to him. The predictability of Gus Bradley's defense versus the less predictable D'Amico Ryan's defense. Like, yeah, if I'm the Browns, I'm like, give me the other two. Like, whatever has to happen to make that happen. Like, look at the bulletin board and pull those strings because I want I want those two. I don't want the Texans with C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins rolling in here and D'Amico calling shots on defense because I think we can beat them. I think we're not saying that the Browns are automatically going to fold. Like the Browns can absolutely beat them, but it is going to be the tougher of the three matchups if that happens. You know who else uh, wants the Texans to win the South beyond Texans fans? Clear, <laughs> I mean, me, yes. Um, yeah. The Ravens. Because if the Jags win it and then Cleveland knocks off the Jags, that could potentially set up a one seed versus five seed where Joe Flacco and a red hot Browns team is coming into Baltimore. Yep. They don't want that. Like, like the Ravens are one of the teams that also is like, can somebody else please take care of the Browns for it? Like, we don't want to deal with that shit. Somebody else do it. Like, We've been want. doing it all year. <laughs> They're in our damn division. And, you know, just like the other teams in the AFC North, we say it all the time. It, it's got to wear them out. It does wear them out. Ravens have navigated that gauntlet as well as they ever have this year truly impressive team but yeah they're like you know hey if you you want to make it easier for us we'll (laughs) definitely we'll take the freebie but um a lot of fun football to be played and yeah we're going to talk about prodigal son quarterbacks returning to possibly spoil their former team's glory a little bit more in this podcast yeah there's a couple of those this year one quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show, I promise. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are listening to this in the middle of your fantasy playoffs and trying to glean any sort of knowledge for any little advantage that you can when it comes to start sits. And uh, I wish I could help you guys out with that, truly. But I'm very resentful that you're in the playoffs and I'm not. It was a really rough year for me, I'm not going to lie. I went against my own advice and I didn't draft Puka when he was sitting right there. Like I told all of you to draft Puka and I didn't do it because I'm an idiot. I I put all my eggs in the Luke Musgrave basket when Sam Laporta was sitting right there. You know, Nick Chubb got hurt. I spent my fab all wrong. It it was bad, okay? It was a really bad fantasy year for me. But luckily, I do have a chance at redemption and many of you also have a chance at redemption if your season went just as shitty as mine. And that redemption is called playoff best ball. If you don't know what playoff best ball is, just as an example, if you play on underdog fantasy, for instance, up to six players will draft 10 rounds with a roster construction of one quarterback, one running back, two wide receivers or tight ends, and one flex. The games start in the wildcard round and run through the end of the playoffs, and it's best ball, so you don't have to set a lineup, just whichever players at those positions that are on your roster score the highest. Those will be the points that you get credit for so that you don't get penalized for drafting really well but then doing really poorly on start-sit decisions like, oh, I don't know, everybody does. The thing that makes playoff best ball different is that you have to be really good at predicting playoff matchups and which teams you think are going to go all the way because once a team gets eliminated in the playoffs, you can't use their players anymore, obviously. 
So for instance, last year, if you had a bunch of Eagles and Chiefs players in playoff best ball, you probably won the whole thing because you had available players every single week. So if you think you have a good handle on not just which teams are going to make the playoffs, but also which teams you think are going to go all the way, you might like playoff best ball. You can either play with your friends or you can play in huge tournaments with big cash prizes. Either way, you can check it out over on Underdog Fantasy using our promo code BOOTLEG at the link in the description below, or you can use the QR code that's on the screen right now. Signing up with that promo code will automatically double any deposit you make up to 100 bucks, and you're also going to get access to a free half-yard special in Pick'ems if you happen to like playing Pick'ems as well. Once again, thank you to all of you in our audience. Thank you to Underdog for supporting us. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, let's flip it over to the NFC. Cowboys right now are the two seed and, you know, A, based on who the Cowboys are playing this week and based on who the, the Eagles are playing this week, I, I, I think both of them win, although I'm less confident about the Eagles, uh, I think both <laughs> of them win, which means the Cowboys are like 90% probably going to be the two seed, right? Eagles blew it. They went from potentially being the one to being the five in like three weeks, right? And there's a lot of reasons why the Eagles have had this late season collapse, and we've gone over it several times on this show. Matt Patricia. <laughs> oh, trust me. He's not the only war criminal there, okay? Like, he's whole staff. Not, but... Whole staff. <laughs> like, Jeff Stoutland, you're cool. Everybody else, get the fuck out. Like, that's that's where I'm at at this point. Um, but I, I, I expect the Cowboys to be the two seed. And so we're going through all the possible seven seed matchups that they got to face, which is either going to be Green Bay, Seattle, or I guess Minnesota. Like mathematically, it's possible, but like there's a lot of green lights that got to be hit for that one. So like I, I'm throwing them in there, but it's not going to be Minnesota. At least it shouldn't be Minnesota. Uh, Vikings so, fans now. <laughs> Cue the celebration. Oh, oh yeah. Like Vikings fans are like, oh yeah, let's ruin our draft pick for a Jaron Hall playoff game. Yeah. Like Vikings fans don't want to be in it any more than we want them in it. Let's be real here. Uh, so it's most likely going to be either the Packers or the Seahawks. The Seahawks also need to hit a lot of green lights here. The most likely seven seed is also the one that I don't think the Cowboys want to face. And that's the Packers. And yes, Jordan Love has been up and down this year, but it's mostly up. Like, especially in the back half of the year, it's mostly up. There's a couple weird games here and there, but for the most part, he has shown all of the potential that we thought he could in terms of mobility, arm strength. Like, he's, he's a better deep ball thrower now uh, than he was even two months ago. That scares the shit out of me. Like, they're a very sneaky, explosive team. Like, th this is a team that I don't think, or this is an offense, I should say, that I don't think anybody really wants to deal with right now because of the fact that they can score from anywhere on the field in literally one play. The one thing that gives Cowboys fans hope here is that the Packers' defense is not good. And if it turns into a track meet, Cowboys fans are like, all right, we can do a track meet. Like, we can make this work. However, and this is this is kind of the great equalizer here. If we're looking at just coaching matchups, like situational coaching, Mike McCarthy, Matt LaFleur are not in the same universe. Like, it's not even close. And even though I think both teams can score on each other, 
quite a bit, actually. Both teams will score on each other quite a bit. It's going to be Washington, Texas, right? It's going to come down to the last four minutes of each half. And do I trust Mike McCarthy to manage his timeouts correctly, to manage the clock correctly, to know when to go for it, when to kick, when to punt? You know, I, I, I don't. I really don't. And I think that this type of game between two good teams to great teams is really going to come down to like three plays. And what does your offensive play caller slash head coach do in those three plays, in those key situations where, hey, we got to bleed an extra 45 seconds a clock. Hey, we got to dial up the perfect fourth down call. Hey, we got to know what to do on fourth down. Should we kick it? Should we punch it? Should we go for it? (laughs) Mike McCarthy, as much as he's grown as a play caller this year, and he has, he's, he's been great he's been better than I ever thought he could be he's adapted they've they've added more motion to the offense. like they've done they've done everything they could to modernize the actual offense but we just saw it rear its ugly head again last week the situational calls second and 14 why why are you throwing the ball like you're at midfield with like a minute to go all you should be doing is running the ball lead clock. Detroit wouldn't have even gotten a chance to go all the way down the field and even make it a close game if Mike McCarthy just ran the fucking ball. And he, he for whatever reason his brain breaks in those key situational moments every time. And so yeah, I think that the Cowboys offense can keep pace with the Packers offense. If anything it's really the other way around. It's more the Packers keeping pace with the Cowboys, but like yeah, both teams are going to be able to score on each other. But with two and a half minutes to go and a couple timeouts left, and we got to close this thing out, do I think that Mike McCarthy is going to be able to do everything that a great head coach should be able to do to manage that situation and close the game out? No, I really don't. And so ultimately, like, that's, that's the bad matchup. And Packers fans know this because they dealt with Mike McCarthy for years doing that and ruining playoff runs all the time with bad situational game management. So they know that's true. Cowboys fans know that's true. And we can all see this shit coming from a mile down the tracks. We know what that game is going to be. And yet it's like a slow-moving train accident that we just can't stop. We talked about prodigal son quarterbacks returning. Uh, This is the prodigal uh, coach returning. And, you know, Green Bay fans, if they don't follow the Cowboys, might not have adapted to the fact that, hey, McCarthy has adapted. And at least as a play caller, is a very different coach than he was in Green Bay because he refused to do that in Green Bay. He didn't didn't need to. He had an Hall of Fame quarterback, and that was good enough and until it wasn't and then he got run out of town he's changed in dallas but that piece like you said we just saw another example of it we kind of thought you know kick that under the rug it's gone he's all good now the bad man is gone <laughs> mm, nope nope comes back and lafleur on the other hand is i'll just say noticeably absent from that discussion as a fairly young head coach. Like, you just don't hear that about Mike LaFleur pretty much ever. In fact, I'm not ever sure that I really have. Maybe once in well, his first th- year. Well, there was like the one, like, hey. There was the one playoff game with Aaron. I want to say it was like the third year with Aaron or something like that. 
there was like one playoff game where um, they didn't give Aaron another shot. I, I'm trying to remember the exact circumstance of it, but I, I remember they played it too conservatively and like he got right. killed for that. And, and then they never, it never happened again. You know, that's the piece, right? So it happened once or twice. Cause there's a couple times this first year where people were like, I don't know if, you know, we're going to chalk that up to young coaching. And that's the way it is with all young coaches. Sirianni went through that his first year in Philadelphia, like, and the good ones get past that and you don't hear about it again. And the bad ones, the ones that struggle with it, like Mike McCarthy, you keep hearing about it. It keeps cropping up. It might crop up less, but it still crops up and people sort of have PTSD about it. There's there's a lot of old wounds. They just go, oh, no, not again. What are you doing? So Lafleur's a good matchup there. The only way I'd feel confident, and that's in quotes, I think, about this game, is if the Cowboys come out and start boat racing. Like if they yeah. put up 14 points each of the first two quarters, which is possible against the Green Bay defense, it's going to be tougher and there's going to be a lot more pressure on Love to keep up with that. So if the Cowboys just put the hammer down offensively so that this is not a close game, so that we're not having those four minute situations at the end of the half, right? Green Bay is just trying to get something going or tack on one more touchdown before we get to the second half kick. Like that's that heavily favors Dallas. Yeah. If they need to take it out of, of Mike's hands. Like they if to, they get dragged <laughs> down into the mud and this turns into a fight. Yeah. Cowboys fans are going to be real nervous about that. And they should be. And I, I, I'm again, I, I keep track of Cowboys Twitter. All of them are looking at this, <laughs> right? Like they're looking at green Bay as a seven and saying, Oh no, does it, does it have to like, can we, can we do Minnesota? Like, is that, is that an option? Like, is there an they option? They don't want that shit. They really Can I pay more <laughs> and upgrade to the other, do the other side dish? I don't, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Uh, all right. Three seed, the lions. I want to combine the three seed and the six seed. Cause the Rams have also clinched. So the Rams are part of this, right? Yep. There's six NFC teams that have clinched. There's only one playoff spot that's up for grabs technically. And it's a seven. Um, but I want to do the Lions and the Rams at the same time because that is the most likely three versus six matchup right now. And they are each other's nightmare matchups. Like, I've been going through all the data on this this week. Neither one of them really matches up well against the other. And I mean that in both a complementary and a negative way. Like, this is going to be an all-out war because each one of their individual weaknesses plays into the strengths of each other. And so mm -hmm. I really don't know who's going to win this game because neither one of them is like a clean matchup. And it's again, it's one, one of these games is going to come down to like three or four key plays. Um, but like, let's say on the Lions side, like what scares them about, about the Rams? If you're looking at uh, the Lions guard situation, they've had a rotating cast of characters at guard this year. They're the third highest pressure rate allowed among all interior offensive line groups. And they're going up against Aaron Donald, who's still Aaron Donald, and Kobe Turner, who's, what, like third among all rookie IDL in pressures. He's got nine sacks. He's been phenomenal. Like, he's outpacing Jalen Carter in every single statistic. He's been phenomenal this year. He didn't even start till like, week six. Mm -hmm. and, and since that time, like, even if we're just, like, because I know Jalen's been banged up a little bit, but even if we're just looking, like, pass rush win rate, pressure percentage, like, even just the percentage stats, he's outperforming Jalen Carter. 
And you also got Aaron Donald going up against that guard group that struggled in pass pro all year long. I don't like that. Like, I don't like that at all. And then if you look at the Rams side, I, I love Matt Stafford. He's played great this year. But if we're looking at just Stafford against the Blitz, he's at like an 81 passer rating because he can't move as well at his age. So he's taking a bunch of sacks. Um, it, it, like the, the only real way that they've beaten the Blitz is if it's something that's like declared really early before the snap where he can kind of glance out to Puka and be like, hey, you're my hot. Like, find the leverage and run against it. I'm going to I'm gonna hit you. Like, they kind of like improv their way out of some some tough situations against the blitz but if it's something that they're not seeing until the ball is snapped and you got to rely on the quarterback to kind of move out of it and, and pull a Lamar and, and just make a play on the run like Stafford's not doing that and the Lions happen to be one of the teams that blitz a lot it's like a 48 percent blitz rate from them they play a lot of three three fire zone and they they have like 10 different versions of it and so, like, I, I don't feel super confident about the Rams either. And I look at both these teams, and I'm like, this is probably going to be the best playoff game of the weekend because neither of them is going to be comfortable. And you can say, ah, that's a recipe for an ugly game. No, that's a recipe for a compelling game. That's a recipe for a close game. And then you also throw in the Goff-Stafford trade narrative on top. Like, oh, my God, that game is cinema to me. I know that Rams and Lions fans both don't want it to happen because they're scared shitless of each other. But as a third party, I'm all about it. Yeah, as an as an observer, neutral observer with no skin in the game, it's <laughs> it's the best story game, potential story game of that weekend. Stafford returning home to possibly crash what has been a Cinderella season for the Lions and their fans. And, you know, that would be ultimate heartbreak. And that's what makes great stories. Both quarterbacks have played well. Similarly, in a lot of ways, if you're talking about Goff dealing with internal pressure, like not necessarily the quarterback you want dealing with internal pressure because he's not super mobile. The Hall of Famers don't like pressure right in your face. So if your guards collapse and Aaron Donald's there in 1.5 seconds, Goff is not the guy I would roll the dice with to say, oh, yeah, I think he's got something for that. He doesn't. Yeah, um, He's going to get hit. Stafford's been hit a lot, but, man, I said that when he was a lion. And he is the incredible plastic man. He has been <laughs> beat up. He is one of the toughest dudes out there. He will stand in, take the hit now in his umpteenth year, and still this year he's been brilliant like he's played better than golf and if he hadn't we wouldn't even be talking about this Rams team like they wouldn't be anywhere near the playoffs without his level of play Rams can run the ball really well Detroit stops the run pretty well so Kyron Williams just running over them that's a narrative I've seen in a few places I'm like oh, it's not likely to happen um defensive backs of the Lions are gonna have to keep up with again a full complement of Rams receivers who have been Again, very good down the stretch. We'll see. Somebody's going to have to break in this one. And it is, in my mind, same as yours, most compelling game of the weekend if it happens, not only for what happens between the lines, but all the storylines outside of it. Uh, let's get to the four seed, which is most likely the Buccaneers. It's not locked in technically yet, but if we're just looking at opponents and everything, like, Okay, you got to beat the Carolina probably. Panthers to win the yeah, okay, you're going to win. So it's it's probably going to be the Bucks at the 4 seed. And it should be. The Bucks in my opinion are the best team in the South. I understand they just lost to the Saints, but like 
body of work overall this year. Sure. I would say the Bucks are the best team in the South. Now, the team that they don't want to face, technically there's only two possibilities. It's either going to be the Cowboys or the Eagles. We said that um, the Cowboys are most likely going to be the two seed, um, but let's just say something really weird happens and they drop to the five, and the Eagles end up winning the division. That would be the wildest scenario of the week. Is if that would be a Cowboys Vegas breaker? Out. Yes, that would be. That would be a lot of people losing money. Everybody's all at survivor once. pool as the yes. Cowboys winning this week. But let's say they drop to the five. That is the nightmare scenario. The Bucks would rather face the Eagles. Everybody would rather face the Eagles, but the Bucks would definitely rather face the Eagles than the Cowboys right now because just looking at the matchups in particular. You know, I just mentioned, hey, Detroit's guard group is third worst in the NFL in terms of pressure rate allowed. Well, the Bucks are fourth. Like, they, they, they've given up a lot of pressure this year. I'm talking about a 14% pressure allowed percentage. That's really high. Like, you want your guards to be at, like, five or six. Six, yeah. You know, so they're, they're almost double or triple that. The tackles have been great. For the most part, guards have not. And not only can the interior defensive lineman for Dallas get after you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna look at Dan Quinn to put Micah on those guards in all the varieties of ways that he's done that so far this year, where he'll stand up Micah and line him up as like a standing three. You know, he'll bring him as a looper inside and have a guard have to take him on with a runway. Uh, which good luck. Like, even though Mike is giving up 70 pounds, like he's still going to run over you. Like he's, he's freakishly strong, especially when you give him that much of a runway where he starts out here and then he loops inside and he's coming. Like we're talking like eight yards sprinting and then he gets into your chest. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to get fucked up. And all of the different ways that Quinn has managed to give Micah those matchups this year, because everybody always chips him. And so they're like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to find a way to rush him inside. This is the exact offense that doesn't want that to happen because they know they can't block him. Like, they absolutely cannot block Micah on the interior. And I think that overall, Tampa's talent level is a lot better than everybody gave them credit for going into the year. Like, this is actually a, a very talented team. They've gotten a lot of great contributions from the rookie class. Izzy's been awesome. Um, God, who's the pit kid? Kalijah Cansey has been great. Like, they, they've gotten a lot of contributions from these rookies. And Baker's played great. And Canales has coached his ass off this year. Like, this is a good team. But ultimately, if I look at the two superstars for Dallas, Micah and CD, Tampa doesn't have an answer for either of those guys. Like, they really don't. And, yes, Izzian's played well in the slot, but with all the, all the motion they've used with CD this year, to back people off and give him free releases. Like, I don't care if you got the best nickel in the league CD with a free release, like you're done. And they've really leaned into that this year. Yeah. They struggled to run the ball. Yeah. Brandon cooks hasn't produced like we thought he would, but Dak and CD is such an unstoppable combination this year. And Micah himself has been so unstoppable as a pass rusher that those two guys are really three guys. If we're throwing Dak, like they they weight so heavy on the scales that I just don't know if Tampa can overcome that. I think it's a great season for them. 
Like, I think they showed to the world, like, hey, we're not dead yet. We can put together some rookie classes. We can build around Baker. Like, they're going to be fine long term. But I don't think they're good enough yet to handle just the sheer star power that Dallas has. And that's before we even get to Odigizua. It's before we get to Durant Bland. It's before we get to everything. That, like, Dallas is just that team this year that, yes, the 49ers can probably beat them. Hell, I would even give the Rams a decent shot, just stylistically. Tampa, matchup-wise, doesn't want to see them. They would love to play against Philly. They probably will, but they don't want to see Dallas. It would be the cruelest fate if the Cowboys drop to the five seed and therefore end up playing the Bucks because it's a little bit like, Chicago having the number one overall pick. Chicago's not been bad enough to have the number one overall pick, but they traded for it last year, so they end up as a number one overall pick, and they're a better team. Cowboys are like that if they drop to the fifth. And again, it would take a lot of math for that to happen, and it would be very unkind to Tampa because we talk about a lot of teams on this podcast that don't maximize the talent they have. Cough, cough. Somebody in their division, Atlanta. (laughs) Right? The Bucs are the anti-Falcons. The Bucs have been getting everything out of their talent this year. And I would say have not necessarily overachieved, but achieved. Like if you said, what's the max for this roster? In fact, if you go back to our divisional preview episode, this might be about what we said was the top for their window of wins. And Mm -hmm. that is, again, coaches like Canales and the other coaches on the Tampa staff as well, getting the most out of Baker, getting the most out of veterans like Mike Evans, getting the most out of rookies that's cool. Like we love to see teams that maximize their talent. And I would say Tampa is among the top two or three teams in the league this year that have gotten everything out of all of their guys. Now, that being said, they still don't have all the guys. Their guard play has not been great. And yeah, if we're talking about defensive coordinators who I think can take advantage of that Cowboys would be a nightmare matchup for the bucks and forget CD like CD CD this year. He's that guy. As soon as Dallas went to motion and moving him around, specifically putting him in the slot to get him one-on-ones, like, Mm -hmm. again, I don't care who you are. If you're not, you know, one double 88 on those plays, you're you're in trouble. Uh, We did mention the Eagles as a potential five seed, most likely five seed. Uh, They're the last team that we're going to talk about because they've also clinched. And it just so happens that the Buccaneers are the last team that they want to face. Again, if they're a two, they could potentially face the Packers. They could potentially face the Seahawks or theoretically Minnesota. But the most likely scenario is they play against Tampa, and that's the one they don't want, even though they've already beat them this year. Going back to September, like they they beat yeah. them soundly. But September Eagles over here? Yeah, Current and S- Eagles September Ooh. Bucks are also not the same. Like the no, Bucks run defense. I remember we talked about it early in the year. The Bucks run defense were like, man, they're like, they're kind of getting pushed around. We're not used to seeing the Bucks of all teams get pushed around. Well, since week nine, if you're looking at the second half of the season, the most recent half of the season, the half of the season that actually matters the most, they're fifth in tackles for loss, they're eighth in average depth of tackle, um, which kind of translates to yards before contact. Uh, they're fifth in yards per carry allowed at only 3.7. They're fifth in total rushing yards allowed. Like, this is a different run defense. And that was how the Eagles beat them the first time. They ran 40 times for 200 yards. They had five yards a clip. 
You remember when the Eagles could just run over teams at will? Yeah. End of last year, beginning Pepperidge of this Farm year. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Like, <laughs> but oh, but man. Philly's not the same now. No. And neither is Tampa. No. And so if you can't hang your hat on just inside zoning somebody to death over and over and over again, which is what Philly did in that game, now what do you got? And we know that Tampa's got some big corners, even though, like, yeah, we love A.J. Brown, and A.J. Brown's like a matchup nightmare for anybody. If we're just looking at size on size outside and saying, go ahead, throw up your 50-50 balls. Like, as long as you're not hitting them at an 80% rate like you did last year, we'll live with the 50-50. We win some, you lose some. Like, you want to set yourself up in third and eight? Because... Tampa's going to do the same thing to Evans, right? Yeah. <laughs> Baker's going to throw up their 50-50 balls. And right now, I'd say <laughs> Baker I, to Evans. I don't think the Philly corners can handle that, though. Like, no, if you're talking about the relative outcomes of Baker throwing a 50-50 ball to Mike Evans or Hurts throwing one to A.J. Brown right now, and you factor in the defense that they would be playing against in this matchup, yeah, I, you know, if I got money, I'm putting it on Tampa. Like, it's not a guarantee one zero black white it's a 10 or 20 percent more chance that the bucks complete that ball right now where with both teams where they are right now pretty likely the one thing that could undo tampa is like i said their guards aren't very good in pass pro and they got to go against jalen carter and fletcher cox like 100 percent. that's a problem but tampa doesn't have as many problems in this game as philly does Philly's and that was talent, a that but. was a just nutty statement like seven weeks ago. If you'd said that seven weeks ago, you would have been like, I don't know, you're kind of overrating the Bucks. You're definitely underrating the Eagles now with the turn of fates, especially the Eagles. They've they've nosedived pretty hard over the last month. Like that's not a wild statement at all. For God's sake, they lost to Arizona. Like, I'm sorry, everything's on the table at this point. And and when I say everything's on the table, I mean cleaning house is on the table. Like, if you lose, what would it be, four out of their last five, right? If you lose that, you back into the playoffs as a five seed when you could have been a one. There's been schematic problems all year long, offensively and defensively. Like, Howie's safe because he's Howie. But, like, you're telling me that Nick Sirianni's safe. Matt Patricia's safe. Brian Johnson's safe. Like, no, they're not. I would say most of the lower coaching staff. I would say Sirianni probably is, having gone to the Super Bowl just last year. Howie is, I would say, and should be untouchable. It's pretty tough to fire a He's untouchable. year. Yeah. Because it ain't the roster. It's not that Philadelphia does not have dudes. Like, they have stacks of guys. Jimmy's and Joe's in, in closets they probably forgot about. Right. Like, here's why I think Sirianni's not safe, though. Mm. And again, let's just play it out. Let's say that they have the five seed and they go to Tampa and they lose one and done. Right. Let's just say that they lose embarrassingly. I would say all options are on the table. If it's a close game, it's tough to fire Sirianni. I, the one reason why I think it could happen is because Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl against Bill Belichick and was still out the door three years later. Oh, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's harder. And I think it's become very clear at this point that like that was a coordinator driven team last year because you had Gannon who just beat them. Yeah. 
Vic Fangio was on that staff. Steichen. Who's done like, great. I mean, the Colts would not be where they are without him. So those are, I think, both of those guys have gone out with varying degrees of certainty. There were a lot of people in Arizona that were like, oh, we got the bad one. And the way the Cardinals have played down the stretch, I don't think you can say that anymore. I don't think that's no. even remotely in the conversation, given the roster in Arizona and what Gannon's managed to create in the second half. Steichen came out of the gate with AR just absolutely smoking. And, you know, has made Gardner Minshew into a force that still has a possibility to win the division, which is insane if you're talking about that. So, yes, both of those coordinators were extremely strong. Um, the coordinators that have replaced them, you know, again, I think I think Johnson had a decent first half of the year. Again, we said they're still beating teams, even though they haven't played their best game. They'll, they'll come together, and they went the other way. I just... I... I I know how Lori operates at this point. And if he sniffs out like, oh, okay, you hired good assistants, but what do you do? Like what's what's your <laughs> what is it you would say you do here? Yeah, no, really. Other than talk shit to Chiefs fans, what do you do, Nick? What's your great contribution to this organization? I don't got an answer. Yeah, it's not impossible that he goes again if they win. A playoff game two. He's not going anywhere. If they get blown out by the Bucks, the optics are going to be bad when you when you attach it to the last five or six weeks of the season. Hundred percent. It would be one of the all time collapses in NFL history. NFL history to be ten and one, driver's seat for the one seed. And and not only do you let San Francisco pass you, you let Dallas pass you. Yeah, in your and you division. drop to a five. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Things aren't looking good. At least the Philadelphia media market is completely forgiving. Oh, yeah, no, they're totally reasonable people. Teddy bears, all of them. Everybody knows that Philadelphia is not unhinged whatsoever. <laughs> they didn't eat horse shit when they won a Super Bowl. Look it up. That actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> they climbed light poles and ate horse shit. Philadelphia. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> How's that for a tourism board ad? Anyway, <laughs> we're going to get out of here before we say something uh, to make Philly even more something else mad at us. Uh, this is going to be our only show this week. And then we have a show, uh, only one show next week, which may end up being fairly similar to this one because I assume it's going to be a playoff preview. But if it ends up just only talking about the matchups that we've already talked about, we'll probably do something else because we don't want to do the same show twice. What do you think the chances of that are given this NFL season? I think there'll be some wrenches in the monkey works. There, there might be a there might be a couple weird thing. Well, not might be. There will be a couple weird things. Yes, this there week. will. And we'll get to those next week. But if you have any other topics you want us to address, you know, if you're a fan of a non-playoff team that has long been out of it and you have a particular off-season topic you want us to address, we'll probably throw that in uh, next week as well. Um, anyway, with that, I want to thank all of our producers over on the executive producer tier on Patreon. Iken, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Thank you once again to all of you uh, for helping to make this show possible. Thank you to Underdog for helping to make this show possible. Uh, remember to use promo code BOOTLEG at the link in the description. They will match your deposit up to $100 and give you access to a free pick'em this weekend. Thank you to everybody for watching or listening, however you happen to consume the show. We will see you guys next week. 
uh, talking more playoff football. Happy New Year.